Into the cheese steaks in the Sour Hello podcast. And man, Austin, I'm going to jump right into it. If you guys are new to the podcast, I should introduce myself. I'm Dylan Count Crow. He's Austin Mancini. But uh, man, Austin, two games into the playoffs. And, uh, you know, coming to the series we were talking about, I we think this could go seven. We don't know if the Sixers are going to win. And, you know, it takes it took two games, but here I am and I'm thinking out how can the Sixers win the NBA title this year? And I'm slowly convincing myself. It's going to happen. What a first two games of this series. What a way for the Sixers to start this playoff run. I mean, two almost nearly perfect games offensively. The defense has been great as well for the most part. Um, Man, it's a breath of fresh air to see this team show up in the playoffs. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. uh, Last night's game, last night being uh, Monday, could have easily been a trap in the sense of Scotty Barnes was hurt. You didn't know if Gary Trent Jr. was going to play. Um, and they had one or two other guys who were also hurt. So they very easily could have taken them, you know, lightly and taken their foot off the gas. That's not the case. I mean, Dylan, they, after an initial rush by the Raptors, the Sixers absolutely stomped the Raptors. I mean, they exerted their will whenever they wanted. The bullies are being bullied. That is the best way to describe it. In the regular season, Toronto, one of the things that makes Toronto such a tough team, the reason they won 48 games is they may not be the most talented. We talked about this before. They may not be the most talented, but they play smart basketball. They play strong basketball. But they are bullies, and they will bully teams to a pulp in hopes of intimidating them and winning in that type of fashion. The Sixers have not allowed them to do that this series. The Sixers, on the other hand, have been bullying the Raptors nonstop through two games. I mean, the passion that everybody on this team is playing with right now, the intensity is incredible. I mean, Joel is. Just, I he had a a good game in game one, but it only had what nineteen points game one. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, but I mean, and, he, and part of it's because Maxi didn't have to, you know, Maxie or Maxi was yeah. going off, so he didn't have to. Yeah, he didn't have to do anything. So I mean, I mean, that's just another positive though, is that this isn't a reliant on Joel Embiid. This is a, oh, they double-teamed Joel like everyone knew. Who's going to step up? And we spoke about it last podcast. It's Tyrese. Tyrese has definitely yeah, stepped up. And Harden's been the great facilitator that he's needed to be. Not that we thought we were getting in the trade, but just the guy, you know, he's taken on a role that's needed so far. And you know, all the off the court things you hear, you know, he hasn't he hasn't said a word. Obviously they haven't lost a game yet in the playoffs, but I mean, he's not complaining about not shooting the ball. And his defense through two games has been rather solid. He's out there and busting his ass deep on, on the defensive side of the court and uh is 
playing both ways, which you need to do in the playoffs if you want to win uh, seri- games and, more importantly, series in, in hopes of winning the title. And, I mean, I, I love the intensity I've seen out of Harden both ends of the court. He, We, I think, have accepted already that Harden is not going to be the guy who's going to drop 30 points every night. And that's okay. They don't need him to be. That's what Joel Embiid is there for. That's what Tyrese Maxey is looking like he yeah. – Maxie's not going to be a 30-point score, but I think get Maxie next year develop into a 22-point game, point a night game. Uh, sorry, 22 points per game type of player first around there. I think so. Based yeah. off what we've seen in, over the last couple months, I mean, it, what he's done is incredible, and he's continuing in the playoffs. He honestly looks like a guy where the stage is never too big for him, and he – he has that that trade you look for where when he's in bigger stages, he elevates his game. And we've seen that in bigger games this year too as well. He elevates his game and he also plays at one speed and that's fast. You know, like there, he doesn't take plays off. He doesn't, he's not jogging. He's not playing lackadaisical defense. He's constantly running around. I mean, part of it's the 20, you know, he's a 20 year old kid, 21 year old kid. But the other part is just he's the team is better when they have him playing like the road runner that he is. And the fact that he's all of a sudden shooting 42% from three for the year. Yeah. I mean, let's look at what he's done here in this series. Uh, there are two games. So game one, Maxi, 38 minutes, which, one, by the way, is the second most minutes of any player on the court for the Sixers in mm-hmm. game one, which, one, it tells you two things. One, Doc trusts him to be out there almost every minute of the game. And two, he was also playing just so hot that you cannot take him off the court, which is also, <laughs> I mean, Doc learned that you keep your top players on the court and you limit them not being on the court, and it'll it'll work out. And I mean, Harden played all played forty minutes in game one. Uh, sorry, sorry, did I say all but two minutes? Sorry, all but ten minutes. Uh, thinking college basketball still. Um, Maxi played all but ten minutes. Uh, Harden played all but eight minutes. They're key, he's keeping him on the floor for a majority of the game, which you love to see, especially when he's um, shooting the ball so well. But in game one. Maxi was 14 for 21, including five for eight from beyond the arc, five for five from the free throw line, had four rebounds, two assists. I mean, just tremendous stuff. His effective field goal percentage in the game was 786, and his true shooting percentage was 819. Those are just ridiculous numbers out of Maxi. Um, just things you obviously love to see out of him. Uh, and the fact that he has developed into this player and has shown these continuous steps in the playoffs, I mean, is just huge for them. And I, if I'm remembering back correctly to last night in game two, he didn't necessarily get off to the hottest of starts in the game. Both games, yeah. But he came on later in the game and he still ended up with 23 points, nine rebounds eight assists this man almost posted a triple double in in the in the playoffs for the sixers uh, which you weren't expecting 
I mean, you expect Harden to post triple doubles, not not Maxi, who's in his second year in the league. Or even in what is speed, yeah. Like, I, I forget how many playoff games they were in last year, but um, he he has he yeah. doesn't have a ton of playoff. No, he doesn't, and I think it's like you mentioned. It's as the game goes on, he gets more comfortable, and he's willing to take more shots. He knows Joel and Harden. You know they're gonna teams are gonna start pressing them more because you need the biggest of stars to step up as the game goes on and the series goes on. But I mean, one props to Doc because he knew Joel was gonna get double teamed. We saw the videos of Joel getting double teamed in practice in in preparation of this. Well, guess what? You can't do it now. You know now Nick Nurse's idea of double teaming Joel can't happen. Because now he's either going to throw it to Harden, he's going to throw it to Maxi, or even I mean Tobias Harris has even played well. So all yeah, like, I mean, your, and- your entire your entire offense is is just being efficient, absolutely efficient. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at and um, this is a great time, I guess, to kind of bring it up. In our Discord, we asked if anybody had any questions this week. Um, and Jovan, uh, Jovan Alford, uh, somebody we've had on uh, the podcast multiple times, he asked what was our biggest surprise through two games of the series. And I believe both of ours is kind of efi- the efficiency of the offense. Uh, they've shot over 46%, I believe, in both games from beyond the arc. They've shot nearly 50% in both games or above. Um, from the field, just outstanding numbers, which in no way are they going to play at this level throughout the entire playoffs. But the fact they're starting hot is just a great, great sign because they started hot. They gave themselves two games now. You have some wiggle room here that if you drop a game, you're not going to be super worried. Now you're going to be like, we gotta, we gotta come back the next game and you know, get back into back to a three-one or uh, right. whatever it may be um, type series. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's great start for them to get all the pressure, not all the pressure, but some pressure off them, where they can yeah. loosen up now and just play basketball the remainder of the series. Because I mean, you have to win two of the next four. Toronto, on their hand, I mean, they base. They try to basically go undefeated now for us to win. Yeah, and the other crucial thing about going up to uh, is now you don't have Thibault to play perimeter defense going to Toronto. So instead of being split 1-1 going into Toronto, now you, like you mentioned, the cushion. If they drop a game, then, okay, you know, Toronto's at home. You know, you, you don't want them to drop a game, but it would make sense if they win one of these next two games. Without Matisse Seibel. And the other thing about the offense, quickly, about everybody stepping up is uh, Joel. With Joel getting double-teamed, with everybody else stepping up, Toronto's not going to be able to as effectively double-team Joel and play hack of Joel all the time because if Joel finds an open man, if he's being double-teamed, there's right now a good chance that guy is making the wide-open three or maybe he's slightly covered but i mean uh just everybody playing this well 
is going to really, I think, just open up the offense more for the Sixers here the remainder of the series because everybody on this Sixers team right now, shooting-wise, is beating Toronto. And um, Toronto, I mean, it keeps fouling Joel as well. I mean, we saw the thing at the end of the game yesterday with Joel and uh, Nurse. Uh, And what was – what did you all say? He said to him, uh, "Stop bitching he about." He told him to uh, st- yeah. Stop yeah. bitching about all my fouls or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, and Toronto went out there in game two, and they went after Joel and tried to hack him uh, as consistently as they could, and it it's not going to work out. Putting one of the best free throw shooters, uh, one of the big best man free throw shooters. Uh, on the free throw line that much. I mean, he had 19 points after the first quarter yesterday. Yeah, and yeah, and and even Harden be having the ability to draw fouls and him go to the line. You know, you saw he got the three point play. Um, I think it was last game. You know, he got the guy to reach in after he did a couple of dribble moves, and he got the three foul shots. So, I mean. I know people around the NBA fans are getting frustrated. I think it's mostly Toronto fans. They are fouling. They are. You know, I mean, for example, Siakam, when he jumped to block that, you know, the Euro step. Yeah, it's a hard foul. And, I mean, I, I respect Joel for, one, not getting all upset and getting a technical because I think younger Joel would have. And, two, he didn't shy away from any contact after that. You know, that's that's something you worry about if he's younger, where, oh, it's a hard foul. He's not going to go down there. Well, guess what? He He's going to go hit those free throws because for a center, he's in a – for whatever reason, he is a very good free throw shooter. Absolutely. I 100%. Um, are, are you worried about losing Maxie at all here going into game three? I mean, I – Obviously, you don't want to lose your best, one of your arguably your best defender. But at the same time, I think everybody's just Maybe playing Thibel. so well. Yeah, sorry, did I say Maxi? Uh, yeah, yeah, Thibel. You're losing Thibel. Obviously, you don't want to lose him. But I, I, I think everybody's just playing so well right now that I'm confident they can go up there and still take two, uh, both of them from the Raptors, despite not having Thibel. Yeah, it'll be interesting who they have step in for Thibel, whether it's Georges Nyang or I don't even know, you know, like even Paul Reed is more of a more of a Joel backup to give him minutes. It'll it'll be interesting what Doc does in order to you know finagle his way through this two game stretch because I mean he doesn't Matisse has started to shoot a little better from three, but he's not exactly the best, biggest threat. So it's about replacing the defense, and I don't know who on the bench right now is going to replace that. Who who do you think is? Because I I don't know. I that's the biggest question, but but at the same time, I mean, Danny Green suddenly has come alive as a shooter and uh, and a dunker. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he he showed the entire world that he has the ability to dunk out of nowhere in game two. Um, but uh, I'm shocked his hamstring didn't tear the second he took yeah, off the yeah, floor. Seriously, but 
But yeah, I mean, they're going to need Danny Green to step up here. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's it's tough. How do you replace Thibel? Uh, but uh, and I think Danny Green's really the only answer. No. Yeah, I mean, Danny Green's been in the starting lineup at times. Um, I don't remember if game one he was in the starting lineup. So it'll be interesting who they have come in. You know, I know. You, I mean, yeah, you could have Paul Reed. Danny, Danny started in game two as well. Okay. Started game two, and he started in game one. So he started both games here. I mean, the frustrating, you could have Isaiah Joe. I mean, the. You have to um, replace. You need to replace see. defense. Yeah, and he played 18 minutes night one. He played 10 minutes game two. Um, let's see who played. Uh, so in game two, I mean, nine minutes for Niang. Paul Reed had 10 minutes. Shake at 13 minutes. Those are the only guys who came off the bench. Yeah. And Danny Green played 37 minutes. So, I mean, they already have Danny Green playing 37 minutes a night. You really only need to find somebody to get in there for 10 minutes, really, in game three yeah. and four. Which, which I mean, you could, you could have Paul Reed do it. And, like, once – Joel needs to come off the court. Then Paul Reed could move to center. You know, like you could yeah. extend his minutes a little bit, and then let Shake go to where Danny Green's playing. You know, like they might they might try something like that because I mean Paul Reed is younger and he can handle that. I just I'm I'm a little worried that like maybe they'll try a DeAndre Jarman comes in for uh, Joel, and then Paul Reed comes in to uh, back up Danny Green. Sure, absolutely. Um, I guess, uh, what is your prediction for the next two games as they head to Toronto without Thibault? Or do they take both and come home with the sweep? Do they, do they lose both? I, or they I think they split. I do. I think, you know, it's one of those, it's in Toronto, they'll win maybe the first one. Um, I think they're more likely to win game two than game one. Or, sorry, game three than game four. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I could see game three just because the Sixers still have to figure out what they're going to do for Thibault's replacement, you know, uh, and they don't I'll know how Toronto's going to play without knowing that Thibault can. Yeah, I'm thinking game three without Thibault, you have to figure out kind of a rotation without him there. I know they were just up there a couple weeks ago, just not even a couple weeks ago, but a week and a half ago. Um, two weeks maybe at this point. Um, that and um, actually that would be great. Let's go check that quickly. Let's see. Uh, yeah, who what have who played last time they were up there? Um, because I was legitimately just a couple weeks ago. But uh, to go off that, um, I think game three hostile environment. Uh, Toronto fans are gonna be amped. They're gonna one. Toronto to come out fast. Toronto came out fast in game two. Um, they went up. Yeah, they did. What, uh, Eleven three in 11, the first couple minutes. Yeah, yeah. And then the Sixers just came out with a sixteen two run, I think, 
and from there, Toronto kept it close, but it got out of hand after halftime. Um, back on April 7th, so just 12 days ago when they were in Toronto, Sixers ran out there, Harden, Green, Harris, and beat Maxi with Niang 18 minutes off the bench, Paul Reed 10 minutes, Kirk Moss 2 minutes. So, pretty much what we said. Um, that being said, I think they lose game three, but I think come back, win game four, and then uh, they come home, and I think they take the series on, uh, I guess that'll be Sunday? Is it, do we know when game five is? And uh, on my end, Austin actually froze and has lost internet. Um, but game five, everybody, is Monday, April 25th. So I think the Sixers and the series next Monday at home against uh, the Raptors. So give me Sixers in five now. They lose game three on uh, Wednesday night, win game uh, four on Friday, and before ending the series on Monday. Um, but uh, yeah. Now it's time to get uh, Austin back in the podcast, and uh, yeah, and we got uh, and we got Austin back in the fold here. Austin, <laughs> welcome back. Uh, what's your final thoughts on Sixers? I think it goes. I think now I think it goes five. Honestly, um, I think they win the one, and then the Sixers. I think just recollect. It would be nice if they did sweep because then I know Harden has the hamstring. And just in general with how Embiid's body is, it would be nice to give them the extra rest if they can, as long as this net series goes longer. Because I think that's who they play, right? Yeah, yes. Yes. Is them the heat? I look. But either way, uh, it would be nice to give to... Harden and Embiid extended rest with how they're bodies are yeah sixers get winner of heat atlanta all right well either way that would be an interesting uh series <laughs> yeah it would be it, it definitely um, will be uh and uh, i guess uh from here austin let's go into the phillies um so last time we talked uh, the Phillies were three and three. They uh, beat the Athletics two out of three, lost two out of three to the Mets. They were heading down to Florida, and we're in the series. We said they need to win at least two, hopefully three games, because May is going to be tough. Um, they ended up losing three or four in Florida because you know they can't beat the Marlins. It's the Marlins, and, yeah. And they dropped game. They dropped game one out in Colorado to what has been a good Rockies team this year, but they dropped game one out in Colorado. Uh, currently recording this against, uh, sorry, currently recording this during game two of that Rockies series. Uh, it is the top of the fourth inning, I believe. They're up one nothing right now. Plenty of games still to go on this one. We uh, will be done by the time this probably even gets to the sixth inning. But uh, yeah, it's, it has been interesting for the Phillies because, I mean, Six out of the 11 games this year, they failed to score more than three runs, which is obviously a major concern. But if you look at the stats of the team, offensively, they rank top 10 in um, in hits. They, 
I think they're tied for 10th in home runs. They lead, they're second in the league in extra base hits, um, top 10 in on base percent, top 10 in slugging. They're top 10 in all these offensive categories, but they can't put up runs because their situational hitting this year has been so hit or miss. Game one, we saw them really strong in situational hitting um, with, and with runners in scoring position. We saw that in their one win in Miami where they put up 10 runs. Um, they were very strong with runners in scoring position in that, in that game. But in our games, they've just been putrid with runners in scoring position. And uh, it's just... I don't think this is a bad team. I don't think this is a bad offense. I think this is an offense that truly is not clicking at the right time. And while the offense hasn't been clicking, the pitching hasn't been there to back them up as you would expect and hope. Because, I mean, Gibson got beat up in Florida. Wheeler has something going on, whether it's Sears or not. He had something going on, and he wasn't 100% in terms of his abilities on Sunday. Uh, and you don't know what you're going to get out of a guy like Aaron Nola any given start. So, I mean, it, it, it's a, such a thank you. It's been such a, um, such an interesting first 11 games for the Phillies, just in terms of you can see in the bigger picture that they are, they have the, what they need to be a strong offense and a successful team, but they've yet to put together. And uh, I apologize for the random thank you in the middle there. My uh, fiance dropped something off for me. Um, but uh, yeah, just a uh, really interesting first 11 games for the Phillies. Yeah. I think the biggest tell is just like you mentioned, it's that they're not hitting with runners in scoring position. Um, and that was a struggle last year, and that's why people were getting frustrated with Joe Girardi and the pitching. Struggle with 10 years of this. Yeah, and honestly, the pitching. You know, I mean, Kyle Gibson's probably been your best, and I know he got rocked the one, but he looked the most, like, consistent out of his – He's looked the best this year overall. I mean, he's he's only through three innings so far in Colorado tonight. But he's looked really strong in Colorado. Um, and, yeah, that Florida – I don't know what happened in Florida with him, but got rocked there. But he obviously looked great in his first start against the Athletics. But, yeah, he's definitely been your best pitcher so far this year uh, because Nola has been up and down in just games in general. And then uh, Wheeler, I mean, you would you just have to hope he's still getting lengthened yeah. out here. And uh, there's not nothing – underneath uh, the skin that is uh, causing some problems here. Because the velocity drop he showed in Florida on Sunday was quite concerning. I just, it could be Denim. It could be just, yeah, I mean, yeah, he he was at 97, 98 last year. He was at 93 in Florida. I mean, that's a significant drop. And when you're a guy who usually sits 98s and you're pitching 93s, that's all. That makes it so much easier for the hitter. I mean, that's batting practice speed for most major league hitters these days. Because I mean, everybody in the league these days is tossing up in ninety five mm-hmm. to ninety eight. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of hoping that it's that he's either still hurt or, like you said, he just didn't really have spring training because of the injury. And so I'm hoping that that's kind of what it is. But um, 
if you know you and I when we did a preview, we said you know the yeah the the batting's gonna mostly be you know a couple runs a game, but the question marks the pitching. You know the fielding's gonna be bad, so it it's gonna be re- reliant on good pitching and scoring runs. And so far, the you know it's been Jekyll and Hyde with both the pitching and the and the scoring runs. Absolutely, and I mean, you look at you look at what the bullpen has done this year, and I, I, I find it hard to judge the bullpen honestly to a degree because like Corey Knebel has been great, um, barely falter not so much. Sir Anthony has been good. Jose Alvarado is you're gonna you're gonna get you're gonna get either really good Jose Alvarado. Or a really bad Jose Alvarado any given night. Um, that just kind of comes with the territory. Brad Hand has been great. So I mean, the biggest thing for me is through the first eleven games is three of your biggest ballpen pieces in Dominguez, Knievel, and Hand have all been great. I mean, Knievel and Hand still haven't allowed a run. Um, Dominguez has like a one point nine three earned run average. Um, Familia has looked solid in his three appearances. And, and but then you got get guys like James Norwood, Nick Nelson, Christopher Sanchez, who all have been rocked a little bit. But the ballpen isn't a major concern for me yet. I don't think it's going to be an outstanding ballpen. I don't think it's even going to be above average. But it's being solid. I think it'll be solid enough. You just need that starting pitching to come around. I think Ranger is going to be fine for the most part. Eflin is kind of the wild card at the end of the day here. But we said that coming into the season. Um, I guess offensively, the biggest question right now is I feel like everybody's starting to come around at bat. I mean, Harper's looking good. Harper's hitting the ball really well recently. Mm-hmm. The only guy still not really hitting the ball is Kyle Schwarber. Now he had a two hit game on Sunday against the Marlins, but he's still hitting just a buck 20 on the season. And I'm not too worried about him long-term. I mean, I think he's a guy, I don't think he's going to be a guy who hits 250 this year. But, I mean, I think he could still get down to that career usual of 230. But, I mean, you look at what he does for his career, and this is still a guy who has an OPS plus of 118, which is considered pretty pretty, pretty good. And his uh, runs created stats are very strong for his career as well. So I think he'll eventually come around. But it's hard right now with Schwarber because it, it feels like at times the offense will get something going and then he comes mm-hmm. up and he grounds into a double play. Um, yeah. Or so even I mean, like, I think a couple, a I think a couple games ago, you know, they had bases loaded or men on first and second two outs and he pops up like first, first win, uh first pitch he swings at and he pops up in the infield, you know? No, it's career. WRC plus, which um, I think uh, I forget what the W stands for, but basically runs created um, is at one seventeen, an average MLB player's one hundred. So I mean he's he's above he's well above average in that department, and I think he's going to come around. I mean he had one forty five in that department last year, probably not going to be that, but can he get back to that 2018, 2019 Cubs where he hit? between 238 and 250 
gave you about 30 home runs and in that 70 80 RBI range I still think he can get there it's it's just about when is he going to turn on turn turn on turn it on because it's just been yeah. very very slow so far and it it's is still a early. little concerning but, it's still early but it's I, I mean and yeah exactly for me is a lot of people are really reacting to the Phillies saying like oh they're already going to miss the playoffs and and sure they, they could very well miss the playoffs they don't have not given me any confidence yet that tell me that this is a team that definitely will make the playoffs but at the same time we're 11 games in the season that is what six point six percent of the season? We're not even a tenth of the way through the season yet. There's 150 games remaining after tonight's game in Colorado. There's plenty of time. They're going to have worse stretches of baseball than they are having right now. Yeah, they're going to have really good stretches. There's going to be series or two series, three series where they hit the ball out of the ballpark every single game, yeah. uh, and it's. It's going to be fun to watch, but they're going to have stretches like this as well. Um, but going back to Schwarber quickly, I just want to look at his career numbers in April and March. And in April and March, he's a guy who is a career 217 hitter. And he's even a career 200 hitter in May. But you get to June, he's 250, July 230, August 248, September 247. This is a guy that constantly every year gets better as the season goes on and is a, is a slow starter, as you can tell by the stats. So I'm not too worried. This seems to be pretty much right in where Kyle Schrober historically is for his career. Um, but, I mean, heading into next month, that's a deep schedule. We talked about mm-hmm. it. They have to really play strong the rest of the month. That's my biggest worry here, and we'll wrap it up, I guess, after this thought. My biggest worry for the Phillies is they're at four and six or four and seven, whatever they are right now. Not great. Honestly. Nah, yeah. My worry though is they fall into a big hole here, whether it's in the division or if it's record rise. And then they head into May where you have to play almost a playoff team every yeah. single day for the entire month. And you can see them going 500. You can see them going five, six games above 500. You could see them going 10 games below 500. And I mean, I wouldn't be shocked at the end of May if you're looking at the Phillies as a team that went, wow, they proved themselves. They could be a true contender this year and be a playoff team. Or we look at the end of May and they're 10 games below 500. And you're wondering, are they going to be able to turn it around fast enough uh, to make a run in the playoffs? And uh, I mean, the last two, two of the last three World Series champions, Nationals and Braves. Both started extremely slow. Yeah. Um, That's what I was about to bring it on. Both and turned it on in the second half of the year and went on to win World Series. So I'm not saying the Phillies are going to win World Series after 11 games because they suck, but I'm just saying. You don't need to press the panic button. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a long season. um, And I think my biggest worry, you know, not even just big picture wise, just. Well, it is big picture too, but Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler need to, you know, you need to see consistent outings from them because otherwise it doesn't Absolutely. matter. If they lost Zach Wheeler for any extended period of time, it would be a major issue. And if Nolan does, if Nolan pitches the way he did 
on Monday night in Colorado, they'll be fine. But if he pitches like he did um, against the Mets and in that sixth inning against or seventh inning against the A's, they're in trouble. They need Aaron Nola of 2018, 20, even 2019. They cannot get the Aaron Nola they got from June on last year. Right. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely agree. Any other thoughts with the Phillies before we wrap up? No, I mean, I, I kind of figured they struggled. Uh, they would struggle against the Marlins because it is the Marlins. Um, but other than that, not really. Damn here. Every goddamn year. I know. That's why I like when I was like, we're like, see, we're losing. I'm, I'm kind of like, I mean, it's the Marlins. Doesn't, doesn't shock me. But, um, yeah, it's early. Uh, that's why I think I'm kind of in no stress mode because it's just, it's early. And I get it for some people. It's it is extremely frustrating for this offense to be, you know, putting up these poor numbers offensively, run wise, run wise. Because again, they're a top ten offense in almost every category besides runs. And it doesn't help that you look in the division and you see the Mets, who I think after tonight are going to be nine and three. Um the Mets are playing exactly how people expected the Mets to play coming into the season. Kudos to the Mets. That being said, the Mets have to another five months of baseball to play. Let's see what happens. And the same thing with the Phillies. The Phillies are starting slow. Yes, there's still five months of baseball to play. 150 some games, 150 games left after tonight. That's plenty of time to make up ground here. That's plenty of time yeah. to get right offensively. When this team is right offensively, they're not going to lose many games. So, it, it, I think when this team struggles, it's just going to be about trying to um, wade like you're in the ocean. Just wade yeah. at the surface. Don't don't try to get too low, and, and, and keep yourself afloat. So when you get into those stretches where you're hitting really well offensively you can just stack wins after wins. So that's all I got to say on that. You good? Yeah. Anything else? No, I'm good. All right, let's end it there then. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Cheese Steaks in the Saturday Level. My name is Don't Count Curly. He's Austin Mancini. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review and rate it wherever you can, especially if you're on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, and, yeah, have a good one, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your week. We will have an Eagles mock draft probably on Thursday or Friday. Not sure which day, but we'll have uh, at least one more mock draft, maybe two if we're up for it uh, before next Thursday when the Eagles uh, and the rest of the NFL uh, start this year's NFL draft. Looking forward to that. Uh, but, yep, everybody have a good one. Have a good rest of your week. Uh, until next time, uh, yeah, thanks for listening.